Good morning. It is May 7th. Welcome to Leather and Limits. With me, as always, is the impenetrable Paratrix Knox. Mm. Hello, hello. We have made it to episode 20. That still boggles me just a wee bit. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. More amazing that we're creeping I, up on that 2000 download mark, and I don't even know what to do with that information, you know? Like, you embrace it and you love it. Oh, absolutely. It's just that the fact that it's global is what truly puts me in pure humility. It's the globality of it. I know that's not a real word, but we can go with it. Just <laughs> globality. Right. Because it's not just like, yes, there's a lot of hot spots that are obviously in America and Europe, but there's hot spots in India, Africa. Japan. There's one in Moscow. Now, granted, some of those could be like VPN pings as well. Obviously, I don't mm-hmm. have any way to trickle down that far. But there's enough of them that not all of them are. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. It's just kind of that moment of they're actually listening to us all over the place. And that's just awesome. Because that's exactly the point, isn't it? It is. To me, it's very humbling. So damn lutely. And it's why we're doing it in the first place. So trust me, as long as y'all keep listening, we'll keep fucking doing it. Uh, True that. True that. Today, we're supposed to be talking about styles of power exchange, which I don't know how we decided to wait till now to get to, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it Mm -hmm. is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to throw two giant disclaimers up on the board first, because... You know, and if anybody feels just a little triggered because I said that, that's probably why I'm doing it. Um, (laughs) But keep in mind, it's not going to be an exhaustive list because there's no way in hell. Um, Because every, you know, even amongst styles themselves, there's differences and nuances and no two dynamics are the same. And they're not supposed to be, as we've said, till we are blue in the face. You know, your path is what you make it look like and your partner looks like and what you're happy with. So don't, if we somehow miss yours, either message us if you feel it's important enough or just understand that if we don't describe yours to a T, it's not because we're ignoring it. (laughs) Exactly. No more. Well, and a lot of it too. (laughs) No, and... You know, because we talk about this stuff through our, our own lived experiences, right? I mean, that definitely is is a lot of the definitions and stuff that we'll be using tends to come from our experience within those actual dynamics and what we've what we've actually engaged in, not just observed. So, absolutely, that has a lot to do with it. Well, it kind of has to because it's, I mean, yeah, I could probably look up, you know, BDSM wiki or a thousand other pages and probably pull up a list if I really needed to. But honestly, it wouldn't show me anything I don't already know, most likely. And it's probably not going to catch anything more esoteric that I probably know myself anyway, or that you do, just because we've been out there and seen it for ourselves. Well, why don't we start with the very, very basic top and bottom? If you could even call that a proper power exchange in that sense, because I know there's people that on both sides of that fence and I don't want to dive too deep into what makes it so or not. So let's just acknowledge that there's people that don't necessarily see it as a power exchange relationship because it's for the length of a scene more often than not. 
but by the same so token. So I, I am of the camp. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I am of the camp that, that I do believe it's a power exchange. Because even briefly, there is an agreement being struck. Even briefly, there's an acknowledgement being made. And then do the thing. So oh, absolutely. I me, mean, it does count. It's fleeting, but it does count. But there are people, I, I will say, there are people within this lifestyle that have identified as a top or a bottom. 20. So the things that I want to say, like before we dive into all these things, is there's there's a lot of people that view moving through some of these labels like badges of honor. Like they've attained a certain level be because they are there. They went from bottom to submissive to slave. And I do want to make it clear that that's not accurate. There's a lot of people that come into kink and start out as a slave and they love it. There's a no, lot of absolutely. people that come into kink and they're bottoming and they realize I'm a scene bottom, not a sub. I'm not like, I don't want to live this 24 seven. That's not my goal. I want to come do fun, kinky shit. Go home and have a good life. Right. And that's equally valid. But it is still a form of power exchange. No, I I 100% agree with you on that one. Um, I only specify because I have met people who don't necessarily see it as such. And more often than not, it's because mm -hmm. they're personally in a relationship with another kinky person where mm -hmm. they seen with each other. And they don't even switch. Like more often than not, it's very heteronormative. So, you know, guy is the dom for the five minutes or whatever. And the girl is the bottom. You know, top and bottom, excuse me. But they don't see it as a power exchange in that sense because it's only in the bedroom. But that's all. Like, they don't deep dive into it. They don't think too hard about it. It's just what they enjoy when they're having their intimate moments. And I'm not going to tell them they're wrong for that, necessarily. I don't agree with it. Because like you, I see it as a power exchange for the length of a scene. Which is kind of the point of where top and bottom came from in the first place with leather. But I'm not going to necessarily mm -hmm. shit on their view if it's not harming anybody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm mm -hmm. sure there's other people out there who necessarily think that way. And just so that they don't, you know, feel like that's like you said about levels and whatnot. Like, no, there's much as we've said more than once about doms come in and sometimes think that in order to be part of leather, you have to start at the bottom. And while many of us recommend it for a variety of reasons, it's not a requirement. And you don't right. become less or more of a dom because you have or haven't. Like, there's not auto mm -hmm. steps to your roles when you come to kink. Like, you don't automatically start at a certain rung and have to go, whether you're leather or not, there's not, like, levels of titles or something where you have to level up to earn it. And certain things do. Like, don't call yourself a master as a community member. Mm -hmm. Unless mm -hmm. you're a master in that community outside of, say, your own slavery. Like, within your own house is different. Yeah. But that's something we'll address when we get to that part. But other than that, mm -hmm. there's no like you didn't start as a dom versus a houseboy or a top or a bear or it's whatever you happen to come in and start identifying with as you learn. Mm -hmm. So. No, I, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think that um, I think to me, the identities of top and bottom also I think are a significant part of BDSM culture. Oh, absolutely. Because I think a lot of, there's a lot of people that when they come into kink and rightfully so they're, they're just like, I don't, I don't know what I am. I just want to do fun things. I just want to experience, I want to feel sexy. And 
using the terms top and bottom help you communicate to other people what you're even looking for? And that's an important and I think critical step in people's journey. Um, especially the ones that come into it through porn. Oh, absolutely. Because they have so... Because you come in... <laughs> so mm -hmm. much misinformation. Yeah. They they really do. And it's... And, and I, I see it a lot. And it's, it's very sad. Because, like, people come in, they think, oh, I have to fill this this role because I look a certain way or I'm identifying as a certain way. So I, I've got to... You know, you know it's, especially people that come into it, like... And I'll use leather as a prime example. You know, they come into kink through leather. So they're like, oh, I have to identify as a bottom because I'm a boy. Yeah. Oh. No, you don't. You can you can still be the best little leather boy on the planet and be a top. Hell yeah, you can. You know, I've, you I've, can be both. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, and there's a lot of people that don't like using the term switch. There's a lot of people that have an aversion to the term switch. They think it's a dirty word. Right. Um. So, but yeah. So is typically, but typically though, is top and bottom a fleeting type of interaction? I'll say stereotypically speaking, yes. Yeah. That's a good way to. But there are people that have long-term dynamics that do identify themselves as a top and bottom oh, and don't use any of the other terminology. Well, and there's, you know, there's many subtle levels even in top and bottom, and that's why it's so important mm -hmm. to specify it's not always a fleeting beat and release like the length of that 20 minutes of spanking or whatever it happens to be. Because you mm -hmm. have rope tops and bottoms and demo mm -hmm. tops and bottoms and scene mm -hmm. tops and bottoms. Like there's, it covers so many different things and they yeah. don't all have an exactly the same meaning. Cause it depends on the reference point. Like I know demo bottoms who, you know, not anymore, obviously, but I knew demo bottoms where that's all they demo. That's all they bottomed for was demos. Yeah. And that's otherwise they never bottomed for anyone else. It was just for demonstrations. That doesn't make them less a bottom, but obviously mm -hmm. it's not the same as, say, if you're going to every event and bottoming all the time. Right. And they're both individually absolutely, you know, absolutely valid ways to look at things. It's all about how you feel. You know, top top and bottom are, as we've said before, just that that base definition at the very basics of power exchange before you start building upon it, like rungs on the ladder. Not because there's a hierarchy, but just you got to start from somewhere. It's mm -hmm. the foundational block of this is where we come from, and then we extrapolate off from that, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, and by the same token with switches, which I I can't speak for every switch on the planet, or those that don't like the label even more so. But like I knew switches when I was when I was living in Northern California, there was actually a good number of people were just switching because there wasn't a huge BDSM contingent there or leather, for that matter, as I've said before. And that may or may not have a lot to do with it. But you had people who would absolutely switch with each other nonstop, especially in the pay to play arenas, which I won't get into. Um, yeah. For those that want to look into that, well, we may cover it at some point, but it's not part of this. Just because it's mm -hmm. not specifically a power exchange thing, it's a event style thing, for lack of a better description. And not even venue, but individual, you're more often than not personal. But, yeah. you know, there's people that don't like the idea of Switch because now as someone who's been in the auction rooms and the other assorted unpleasantries on the <laughs> off in the mm -hmm. interwebs, um, there's people who insist that being a Switch 
isn't part of BDSM, even though it's part of scening or whether or not you do top and bottom. And their stance is the concept, and I don't personally agree with it, but I've heard it enough times I can articulate it. Their concept is because you can't be a dom and a sub to someone at the same time. Specifically to the same person is the way they specify that. So I'll give them that. And I don't necessarily disagree with that sense of... Mm -mm. I'm not saying to say it can't happen, but the dichotomy of being a dominant and a submissive of the exact same person and only that person, I could see where that would have so many complications to be almost impossible. Just because the level of fantasy you have to play a delicate balancing act with on both sides. But I would never say it's impossible or not allowed. Never. No, no, not at all. I I think it's more, I think that's probably more someone who's not, I I mean, just my own gut reaction, not living at 24-7 either. I agree. And that's probably Um, what it is. Right, because switching, you know, and for a lot of people, switching works very, very well. And they do it with their long-term, you know, it'll be their long-term monogamous partner and they're both switches and it works because of those reasons, right? Right. Really, everything you just said, that's why it works. But I, but I would say that they're not necessarily living it 24-7 right. like a lot of the other dynamics tend to be, especially once they've been together a couple of years. Well, and it's probably closer to the, the more traditional heteronorm monog style of relationships, too, mm-hmm. just in the fact that you don't find that as commonly in poly relationships and open relationships because you don't need to. Because you do have the ability to be the dominant to your partner, submissive to your partner, and then be that to someone else at the same time. And you can still be a switch to any of the above, because as we've said before, service topping, service bottoming, those are all options. Which, again, part of topping and bottoming. But they don't preclude you from being a dominant or a submissive. It just changes how those relate to one another and how you're for lack of a better description, how your negotiations go. Because I suspect there's a few extra moving parts at that point, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just about being ethical. Um, but to be fair, like I said before, the, the majority of the people I heard that description of switches from, more often than not, were on the interwebs. So mm. with all the things that go with the possibilities there, mm. like we don't know how many of them even practice in real life. And yeah. I'll I'll slap that disclaimer label on now because it may or may not come up more than once as we talk about the rest of these. But I personally am an advocate for live experience, not because there's anything wrong with internet relationships. I am the last person to say that since, you know, I met my partner online and then moved here. So hmm. obviously I had to start digitally first. I'm the last person to say that doesn't work or you can't do that. But there's... It's something you touched on once before, and we we can come back around with that, too, is that there's nothing wrong with Internet dynamics. And those are a thing. Digital dynamics are an existent thing. For people who don't feel the need for the physical aspect of it, whether it's because it's non-sexual or it's not part of what they're looking for, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It is 100% valid for those that need it that way or that feeds what they want. But by the same token, those people aren't usually being unethical either. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the big key part of that is more often than not, the ones who are talking about, well, switches can't be or 
are looking to stay online only in those capacities, but show me your boobs, etc. You know, let's cam so we can play, but I'm Mm -hmm. never going to meet you. More often than not, it's because there's a variety of reasons why they may not be that aren't healthy. And Mm -hmm. so those are the people I usually, when I say I advocate for live experience, those are specifically the reasons why. Because you almost, I won't say you have to, but you should get some kind of practical experience at some point in your life if you're pursuing the lifestyle for your own good. Not for any other reason. Mm -hmm. Not because Mm -hmm. you have to or it's more legitimate or less, but because it changes how you see the rest of it when you've had a chance to experience how it works live in a healthy environment. For me, I will say I, I do, I do give weight to online dynamics because I, yeah. they're a valid part of kink. Absolutely. They always have been. Um, and definitely don't want to take away from that. Um, that being said, I do, I do believe that there is no substitute for actual experience. Right. And while the online dynamics will often, to me, they're they're just as intense because of the emotional yes. involvement, right? But that being said, you still have a lot of stuff that is only theoretical because, you know, punishment, I'll use punishments as an example. Absolutely. You get the same emotions or you will be, you get like, and your, your dominant lets you know that you've disappointed them. Feelings you go through, whether it's online or in person, are the same. That's why I'm saying I give that a lot of validity to the dynamic because the two people are just as emotionally invested into it as you would be had you been in person and right. then physically intimate with each other through play. Because um, I'm, t- I'm taking sex out of the equation here. But then... No, for sure. Certain things that you have a different experience with that radically alters when you are seeing with someone in person or at a play space. Um, discipline is radically different in those spaces. And hurt yourself, punish yourself, even though it's at the direction is radically different. You know, hitting, hitting yourself with a cane, prime example, or a ruler, radically different than having someone else strike you. Mm-hmm. It does. It changes everything. It does. And it's and that's not to minimize the experience because no. it's still a valid experience, but it is a different experience. And it's not one that can be replicated on your own solo. It's just not how it works. So so I do feel that, that things are different. And the, and so I do and, and that's the thing is when people say, Well, yeah, I'm a dominant, but all my all my interactions are online. I don't view you as less of a dominant. I don't view you as less of a submissive because it's all online. Right. But it is a completely different knowledge base. And and that's why I tend to find maybe being a femdom, I see it more often. Femdoms have the ability to manage multiple people in that regard online for that reason. It's very minimal investment on her part to manage stable of boys that are all online. It's easy. No, I can because you interact with them when you want to. Whereas if it's a flesh and blood person in front of you that you're home with, or you're in a physical play space with, you know, your attention is more on point to that person. So you you lose that ability. (laughs) If you're any good. 
mean, ethical, I was right? Say like, that, ethical. But yes. <laughs> so I mean, so that's those are some of the the weird little nuances that I've seen between you know, the online versions of these relationships. They are they are just inherently different. Absolutely. But I don't feel that they're any less less committed or less involved, right? It really is just dependent on those people. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, and I can I can speak directly to this for a variety of reasons. Because mm-hmm. when I first came back from when I first separated from my ex wife and I finally got back into kink mm-hmm. in the Minnesota community, um, I was still figuring out where all of that landed because oh. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where anybody met yet. I didn't know the Minnesota community because I lived in Florida. So as I was getting my feet wet and getting to know people, which specifically started in the digital space on like kick as some of us have had to deal with, et cetera, we won't get into that. We don't need to, <laughs> Great. but trying to pack 20 years of knowledge. And I've, I've touched on this before early on in our, in our series, but trying mm-hmm. to shove 20 pounds of BDSM experiential shit in an <laughs> online box for the first time was really tricky at first. Because all of my experience had been practical and hands-on with multiple people in multiple places over years of practice. I had never practiced in a digital space. So it was a very different, I almost say it would actually, it was actually harder to take practical experience and shove it in the digital box instead of the other way around. And I think a part of that, to be fair, was my own personal experiences, not, and applies to everybody that way, thing. Because, one, I have never played online, and I won't. It's just a personal thing. I don't feel anything from it, so I don't advocate for it for myself. And I warn people up front when I – the couple of auction groups and whatnot where I dabbled into that when I was first figuring out where things were online. And I very quickly fizzled out of it because they weren't going to do crap for anybody anyway. And they were mm-hmm. mostly all toxic, cheating, etc. We don't need to get into that. We all know what we're talking about there. Just unhealthy across the board. Surface feeders, as I've referred to them more than once. <laughs> but for the four-day, five-day, whatever that it was, I was always very upfront with the person I was paired with. Say, listen, you need to understand these are my expectations and my understandings. If these aren't mm-hmm. something you feel comfortable with, we can opt out now. And I totally would respect that. And ironically, none of them ever did, knowing full well that they were never going to play with me as a dominant, because I just wasn't that person. I couldn't do it, especially someone I was going to know for like four days. So it was predominantly conversational, tasking, etc. It was exclusively above brow, so to speak. Hmm? I never had any complaints as a result, because that's something I had, again, years of practice to draw from. And that's much easier to put into a digital space. But it is. But even with Syria, and later on as I got into actual, you know, kinky spaces online and away from the garbage, as I got into the Minnesota community live as well, mm-hmm. you know, I my entire consideration with Syria was over the web because we were in separate states. It had to be. And I still didn't play online. The very first time we played is when I came out to see her when we realized that those emotional connections and whatnot were not just building, but had to go somewhere. And it was like, okay, I am too old to play this let's just stay online forever game. She certainly <laughs> had no desire for that crap either. And so we took it to the next step. And when we started with that, and I 
had her approached me with consideration and we talked about it, I was very clear that if you want to continue with this, it means we're setting up to meet at some point in the near future because I'm not going to be an online only person. It's not who I am. I respect people that operate that way in an ethical way, but I'm not that person. I just can't. I've spent too long doing experience on live first. And that's just a personal perspective. Like I know people that can do that with the same experience. I'm not saying it's like a limiter based on who I am versus everybody else in our experience level have to do it that way. It's just because of the way my experience and my journeys came. I personally just can't do it. But I know plenty that can, and they operate in that ba- space, as we've said before, especially in the femdom community, where it's it's not a big deal even in some cases. And I don't mean that in a and lesser it's way. common. Right. Oh, but, it, but it ends up being more common, kind of to your point, right? And so... In the ethical side of things, yeah. anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we'll move on from that one for today. <laughs> as a femdom can confirm... Um, Having been that bitch once or twice, yeah, I can confirm. Um, but no, like I, I, I do feel that. I, I, I mean, I definitely feel that there's, there's a lot to be said for for those interactions when it's online, and I see, one hundred percent how they're fulfilling for the right person. Absolutely, you know, there are so many people that just don't need, or or don't want that physical interaction. They need the theoretical, yeah, and that's fulfilling to them, you know, and. I see nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's amazing um, because they're still being fulfilled. And that's right. that to me is the beautiful part of it. You're still getting your needs met, whatever form that takes. And you're a happy, thriving individual. Fucking do it. Like that's, I think that's brilliant, you know? And if you have a dominant that's able to facilitate that or a submissive that's able to help you, you know, facilitate that for yourself, how, why would why would you ever say that that's wrong? No, absolutely. <laughs> it's like you're both happy and fulfilled. It's valid as fuck. Go with it. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Well, I say all of that to say that I do agree. Top and bottom is a dynamic. I like it. <laughs> you know, for no, me, there's a lot of people that I will only have a top and bottom relationship with, and it's still a very happy relationship. No, absolutely. It, and yeah. as someone who's been poly my entire life. You know, poly does not automatically mean every relationship is sexual or at the same level of intensity. And there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. in any capacity. Why should it apply any less to kink? Okay. I had plenty exactly. of partners in kink where they were either beat and release partners or demo only partners or people I just went to mm-hmm. coffee with. And we mm-hmm. shot the shit over the differences in our roles or how we operated and the highbrow level only. And then we went our separate ways and we were happy with that. It's all relative. It's just about being ethical and communicating effectively, not anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's why I'm, to me it's healthy. Absolutely. Well, I'm a firm believer that part of the reason that all these auction groups, etc., work is because the number of submissives who are online who can get most of what they're looking for online, because what they're looking for is for the dominance itself, as we've said before, the NCE, not the TS. Mm-hmm. They're looking for the mentality of it. They're looking to be dominated, not physically beaten. Not because they wouldn't, but that's not the part they're worried about. That's not what they're looking for. Exactly. So a good dominant online can impart that ethically. And that's all they're looking for. So it's exactly what they want. They don't need more. You can stay on the other side of the country and be a happy little bug. 
And I think that's valid as fuck. If you're both happy about mm-hmm. it, go for it. That's the key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. That's the key. As long as you're both happy about it and you, you've met meet that, you know, mutual understanding of respect and like that's where it's right. from. Well, it's why yeah, we always talk about it. negotiation and discussion at the end of the day. Consent. It's all about all mm-hmm. of that as it always is. You know, yeah. make sure you're on the same page. If you need to lay it out, and it's why people like us are firm believers in contracts and whatnot, it's not even because it has to be a contract. It's because it lays everything out for everyone to see and discuss. So if something comes up when you're writing it out and you forgot about it or they did, it gives them Mm -hmm. a chance to bring it up. And that's an amazing thing by itself. To me, that's why it's happy. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. (laughs) So moving from top bottom. Yes. Um, what do we want to segue to? I mean, we've we've effectively. I guess it's not a segue the... if I announce it. Uh, it it kind of is because we already <laughs> segued through the internet part of it. Um, the some interwebs? of it, yes, yeah. So we can <laughs> we can safely move away from both of those collectively and move on to, let's say, traditional doms and subs. Um, oh. For I hate using it that way because it makes it sound like it's like a generic button. And obviously it's not, because even in D, in traditional, quote unquote, DS relationships, there's still a huge variety of things that go on. Yes. Because you have service submissives, you have play submissives, you have people who like both, neither, switches, service bottoms, mm-hmm. service tops, all within that. So every relationship and dynamic is still very much unique, even within that. I hate using the generic label because it's not generic, but it's it's the base point, shall we say, the foundation. The one size fits all. It's the one everyone collectively recognizes. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, when you like if you don't know the difference like we do, calling someone just a dominant mm-hmm. and a sub at least takes it to a base level everyone gets. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't go any further. And that's the only yeah. reason I use it that way. I hate that it effectively sounds generic, but it's not. I don't think, it covers I don't think it's such a huge umbrella. I think the only reason why it sounds generic is because it's so widely used. Yeah. There are so many people that, you know, we all gravitate to different labels for different reasons, right? But Dom Sub seems to be, I'll say, the comfortable one as people come into kink. Yes. Because it's the one you see in porn. It's the one you see in literature. It's the one you see online. It's your starter model. You don't necessarily. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, because again, people that practice power exchange are actually a very small portion of the BDSM umbrella. Yeah. It's, it's a very small niche group. So there's the people that practice power exchange. And then there's the people that identify as being power exchange enthusiasts and fetishists, right? Right. And so I think. A lot of people use Dom Sub, like I said, I mean, a default. It becomes like a default identity. Yeah. Cute. Just got delivered banana bread and coffee. That's awesome. It was a great fucking morning. I had eggs and sausage that were homemade. I can't bitch, trust me. Bitch, you got meat? Hateful. (laughs) Kidding. Kidding. We have homemade banana bread, though. Of course, there's meat. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. We have two growing <laughs> boys. There better be food in the house. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. But but no. Yeah. So like so I think. But I do think that the whole identity of dom sub 
for a lot of people, it's comfort because it's, when you first come into kink, these are terms that you have some kind of basis of, you may not completely understand what they are and what they do, but you have some frame of reference to know one person's in charge and one person follows orders. Right. And it just starts that simply. And, and that's okay. You know, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of experienced kinksters that will kind of poo-poo that and kind of mock it. And it has its place within the kink umbrella as well. And to me, just identifying as a dominant or just saying that you're a submissive. Yeah. It is a complete identity. Oh, it that absolutely is fucking is. That's a complete sentence. <laughs> I am a submissive. Well, shit, boom, you just stated it. I am a dominant. Okay. You know, and people tend to take it at face value. It's it's a lot of the other labels that people don't take at face value, and they almost, like, they want to see proof. Yeah. But I find dominant and submissive are one that if, you know, if you're at a play party and you're like, yeah, I identify as a submissive, people are like, oh, Okay. <laughs> You know, and they don't bat an eye. You, yeah, oh, I no, identify as a dominant. Oh, okay. Well, it keeps you know, it simplified like, oh. for everybody involved. and You don't need to dig deeper unless you really want mm -hmm. to with each other. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, even like on the on the darker Facebooks, you know, I'm listed as a Leatherman first and foremost, which doesn't really describe either. Oh, but at the same different. time, the very first thing is dominant because I have been many different roles over the years. And dominant is the simplified, I'm flexible relative to who I'm with and who I'm working with and where we are. So rather than say, well, I've been this, 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 I'm a dominant. First and foremost, I'm a dominant because everything that extrapolates from there is relative and in the moment. And it's as simple as that for me. Not because I'm any less have been a master or, God help me, a deity at one point. We won't go into that today. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. But there, you know, all of those nuances that I've experienced, I'm not that label all day, every day now. But I'm still a dominant. First and foremost, and it's the simplest way to explain all of that without having to spend 15 minutes explaining why. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's I've I've referred before once upon a time about it's the way uh, people in 12 step programs refer to the collective of God. And mm -hmm. there's always people that immediately shy away from that, especially in the addiction communities, just like in many others. And it's not because it's God in the traditional Christiano sense. It's that it's a word that is collectively understood by enough people that you don't need yeah. to dive any further into the concept of a power beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. That's all it's meant to be. Dominant is the same way in BDSM. It's not meant to yeah. be more than a collective term that everyone recognizes at its base point. And if you extrapolate from there, that is between whoever's carrying on. But if I say I'm a dominant, you instantly know what I mean, assuming you have any education, obviously, yeah. relative. But well, it grasps with the English language. You can right. figure out for the you most context, part, if you've right, fallen you into a venue and I say I'm a dominant, you probably at least have an inkling of what that means, even if not the full scope. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to if I say I'm a collector or a daddy or a there's enough nuance that you don't necessarily know any of those without explanation. But if I say I'm a dominant, you don't need more. At that point, uh, it's like it becomes its own. More. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really distinct dividing line is it's you don't need more extrapolation to explain it. At that point, it's based on desire, interest, etc., and who's involved. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always kind of looked at that like if you take, as we've said before about BDSM being such a tiny percentage of kink as a whole, despite the fact that we're the noisiest motherfuckers on the planet, <laughs> you know, take the, let's say, one out of ten. And I'm not, this is not a statistical fact. I don't have anything to base this. I'm just grabbing a number because it works. Yeah. Just so nobody's out there like, fuck that. That's not true. No, <laughs> we're not going yes, by actual is. numbers. It's say <laughs> one out of 10 people is a BDSM enthusiast out of the kink community. Right. Now, let's get a good hundred of those together. Of them, we'll say like a third of them are quote unquote just dominance, maybe a higher percentage than that, for lack of a better description. And everyone past that is like a specialist as opposed to a general practitioner. In that sense, where they're a master or a toy collector or a maker or a crafter or an owner or any number of other hats that are all specialized in some way. Yeah. I, I would I would agree with that. I think that's that's a safe way to put it. Well, and that's why I said I, the numbers aren't exact because they're not even close. And I could be completely wrong. Maybe there's more dominance than that. I don't know. And I'm not going to pretend I do. But it works mm -hmm. for the purposes of explaining it to a listening audience. <laughs> I, I, I that's valid. I, I like that. Um, I, I don't. I don't really feel like I have a lot to add to that one because it is self-explanatory. I think. I think it's a. Like I said, it's a complete sentence to say I am dominant. I am Nominate. submissive. I know I can't unhear that. That's, I, that's I, always in the back. I are dominate. Since the first time you said it, I can't escape it. I'm not gonna lie. It's like oh, an earworm and, that won't die. And I'll pay homage to who I got it from because uh Knothead from Knothead Nylon. Please fucking do, yes. And Aardvark photography. <laughs> so so Knothead is the one who started using that around me. And okay. and I I was dying laughing the first time he said it because he was like, I are dominate. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that's in my head now. It's an earworm. I was so now, say, and of course, I saw it. He had it on his FET profile for a long time, too. And it just. That's even better. It's that's all so caps. Good. I are dominate, right? And it should be. Like you're reading a ticker it's, tape off of a Babbage machine. I, you know. <laughs> and it started from making fun of mainly internet dominance that you know, they're, they're keyboard warriors and they. Oh, God. You know, yes. It's making fun of <laughs> incel culture. No. So yeah, that that's where I got that. So shout out to Knothead for that one. No, absolutely. <laughs> Knothead, you and I have never met or even spoken, but points to you if you ever hear this. <laughs> Just saying. You have added to that's... my repertoire single-handedly and we've never even met. <laughs> Kudos. Definitely <laughs> one of the wittiest conversationalists I've I've encountered in Kink. It's awesome. he is a pleasure to converse with. Hell yeah. Really, really fun guy. But, but yeah, so that's that's where that, that came from. But that's but I will yeah. say that I think I think there's also a lot of people talk about, about the negative side of it. I think there's a lot of people that hide behind dominant and submissive. Oh God, yes. Um, um <laughs> it's it, it and and I'm not gonna say that not valid reasons, right? Because no, no. I don't want to ever invalidate somebody's experience. But reality is they're hiding behind it because they don't want to explore the other stuff because they're scared. Or um some people they get really hung up and 
I don't want to say hung up. Have visceral reactions to certain words. Yes. Now, obviously, when we get into MS, you can't ignore some of that. No, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) But like with dominant and submissive specifically, I do absolutely feel people hide behind it because it's, there's a safety net. There is. Oh, hell yeah. An entire, there's an entire community. And I'll use submissive as a prime example. As a woman coming into a, a play space, you identify as a submissive and you are automatically a part of network, a community, yeah. um, and you, automatically have people that are looking out for you in different ways yes. that you don't necessarily get using other. You know, if you step into a play space and you identify as a doll, you're going to get looks because it's not common. Right. Not because they're they're like, ew, what the fuck is that? It's more, I've never heard that before. Can you tell me what that means to you? Right. You step in and say, I'm a submissive. You automatically have a gaggle of people yes. come to you. Let me care for you. Let me help you. And make sure this person say, and like, they automatically start, hey, did you vet this play partner? Who are you here with? Oh, yeah, that's a great top. And you don't get that with the other labels no in the you're same way absolutely correct there's like an instant network of safety mm-hmm. and protocol and yeah. it's like oh you're a and submissive here let's protect you and i'm not saying and that's exactly why that. i think they're hiding no, no and absolutely. i think when you're new that's that's a happy thing to hide behind um especially when you just you don't know and to be able to tap into an instant network so to speak in an instant safety net even the toxic ones because god knows every community has one but you at least have that. There's some modicum of safety. When you identify as a dominant, there is a similar camaraderie, but it's very different. Oh, God, yes, it is. Ooh, and it's separated different. so hardcore between different mm-hmm. factions, too, even above and beyond that, whether we like it or not. And it's also very gendered. And that's the oh, other yes. uncomfortable part. It's very, very gendered. gendered to walk sexualized. Say, it's, mm-hmm. it's broken down pretty much in every direction possible. And and I'll use I'll use obviously talking from a women's experience. I'll use women as an example. I obviously present very very femme. I I have absolutely weaponized my femininity, yeah. and and I mean I own that. That's that's part of what my kink is. You know, you want me to be a, a kink dispenser? I'm going to show you what they thing. fucking look like. like fuck yes. <laughs> I, I appreciate the aesthetic. Um. Uh, the aesthetic of the uber bitch right and so like when i walk into a room obviously i have a command presence but like when i walk into a room and i'm like yes i'm a dominant i'm definitely treated some kind of way yes um whereas when a man walks in and they're like yeah i'm a dominant it's almost like and of course you are yep whereas with a woman i have to kind of prove that i'm dominant um and I'm not even going to get into the toxic alpha male bullshit because no, but that it's unfortunately it's the nature of the dominant. But it's a reality. Role. It's mm-hmm. the moment you say you're a dominant. A sp- it doesn't matter which gender you are. You have an immediate like affront of bricks coming at your face, whether you like it or mm-hmm. not. Because there's yeah, you know, much like the poly community and a few others, whether we like it or not, the elephant in the room for every yeah. dominant who enters the space, whether experienced or not. There's a gaggle of people who are using it to hide behind toxicity, abuse, any nut- stalkering, 
a thousand different unhealthy things, cheating especially. Stalkering. I know. I, Stalking was cute. I can't let that slide. That was cute. Stalkering. I, I've heard a plethora of, of terms in the last couple of days, thanks to, <laughs> you know, um, much like the new term. I won't get into it here because it's not part of this discussion, but the uh, the new term they're trying to shove down people's throats about pedophiles to make it sound squeaky clean. We will Jesus. not touch on that because that's a whole different topic Gross. and not about this. Mm. But most people know what I'm talking about. If they're not, they yeah. can Google it themselves. We will not talk about it here. Let's just leave it at no. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, I have a sledgehammer. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Um, <laughs> strong opinions <laughs> is an understatement. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but no, the, the moment you say dominant, the problem is that most people immediately look at you, especially as a male, but not just as a male especially not just a straight male, with an entire series of lights. Because until you've spent time around, no one's sure whether to be trusting or not. And there's nothing wrong with that, because unfortunately, for every decent one who's out there, who's either new or not, who's I'm a dominant, there's the cheaters, the people waiting to abuse people, and they use dominant as a perfect blanket excuse to cover their tracks. And no, we don't like it, but it doesn't change that it's there and it happens in almost every venue. We do our best to combat it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. To pretend it doesn't is a disgrace. That's a fallacy. I I would agree with you on that one. And I never want people to be misled. Like, we don't acknowledge it because, no, it's there, whether we like it or not. So let's talk about it and move on, because by talking Mm -hmm. about it, we make that an elephant in the room shrink down to a goddamn marmoset, and then we move on with life. <laughs> marmoset. I was going for the smallest mammal I could think of on the fly, okay? <laughs> no, I appreciate this. I like I like marmoset. That's cute. Right? Mine. <laughs> but it's it's that way, and it's it's even more so a straight male versus a gay male shines a different light as a dominant as well, depending on the space you enter. Just like female as well. They all have their, I'm a dominant. Okay. It's mm-hmm. a lot less immediately interconnected, shall we say, for lack of a better description, as opposed to, say, submissives and bottoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token, now that we've we've addressed most of that particular, it actually allows me to ask a question, because I came across this recently, and I didn't realize this was actually a separated term. And I don't know if it's come across your desk or not, but you'd be the person to mention it to. And it's female-led relationships, specifically, FLRs. Yes. Within BDSM. Yes. I yes. did not know Let's this was this. an actual separate label until the last couple of weeks. So. And now I'm fascinated that this is such a mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. specifically separate identity as opposed to a femdom. 110%. Um, yes, I am more than happy to touch on this because oh, there's please. so many misperceptions about this. I bet. <laughs> so female-led, so from the outside looking in, I will say. Female-led relationships typically present as just straight-up femdom. And so a lot of people will mistakenly say, oh, that's a female dominant with a male submissive. And to be sure, especially in today's culture and what we know about gender and its expansivity, female-led relationship is becoming an outdated term. But what what you'll see used more interchangeably now is woman-led to be a little more inclusive. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
So, but you will st still see FLR, especially for a lot of people that have been practicing it for a long time, because a lot of the literature and media and stuff that you find will be under FLR. Okay. And with female-led relationships, and I do practice them, um, most, I will say almost every one of my dynamics that I have with male submissives are FLRs. Um, they, and even, even the ones that are married, they are living FLR, and then I am their dominant in addition to um, male led relationship is absolutely its own because it's not inherently a power exchange. It right. basically is a role reversal for those stereotypical gender roles. And so what ends up happening is the woman is in charge of the finances. The woman is in charge of running the household. The woman is in charge of structuring the daily life getting everything together the woman is carrying the mental load for absolutely everything and it's the man's job in that dynamic to what she says make it happen so a lot of people will mistakenly assume it's a submissive role and it's not these men are not submissive um, a lot of these men are actually very very dominant in their own right but similar to submissives they don't want to micromanage the household. They don't want to have that responsibility. And they are completely okay. content to not have a 1950s. And so it's more of changing, changing what a domestic partnership looks like. And it is an actual power play. Okay. And so, and so like, for, like for me, how it plays out in my life. Everybody knows I'm married to Viking. Viking's a very dominant man. <laughs> he and I do not have an FLR. Right. That would, yeah, that would, God, that would be ugly. Um, yeah. You can't take two assholes and make it work. It doesn't work. Um, but yeah. So, so our household, our household is not FLR because we, we have a, an equal division of labor, so to speak. We have an equal division of that mental load. Right. And an FLR, he and I would not have that. If we had a, an FLR, the way it would look like in my house is that I would be responsible for pretty much everything. And I would delegate tasks to him for completion. Grocery shopping. Okay. I use grocery shopping because everybody love it. You hate it. You fucking do it. We all nope, do it. We hate absolutely. it. It's, it's a chore. Part of life. Some people view, I will say I like going to the grocery store because I always find cool new shit. I hate the experience of yes, having to I'm get right in and out you. of them. <laughs> so because of this, and because he knows my preference to not grocery shop, he does all the grocery shopping. Oh, and and an FLR that would become his task. Grocery shopping is his. So what I would do is present him with a list once a week, whatever. Right. Now, hey, use your Google Notes. Here's another thing to add to the list. Huh. And at the designated day, he would then the go acquire a week shopping, whatever. But an FLR, that's that's how it would be structured. And so it does very much from the outside look like a DS relationship. And I would say it is a type of DS. But FLR is not a play-based dynamic like you see with other power exchanges. Because FLR does not actually talk about play. Um, in fact, most, that makes sense. <laughs> most women that I know that engage in FLR, uh, their male counterparts, I'll say penis-having people, are in chastity. Okay. Their dick doesn't exist. Um, it's to make them focus. 
No, absolutely. I could go on a whole rant about chastity because I fucking love it. Um, <laughs> cock cages are just Oh, beautiful. it definitely has but, its uses. Oh my God, I love it. Mm-hmm. But but chastity tends to be a, a major component of FLRs. I could see um, that. To keep, you know, and again, again, why it looks like a DS dynamic because that it's to keep the focus back on the woman, to keep the man more or less obedient. Um, okay. And so I, I would say too, FLR arguably could look like MS, a master slave dynamic, because a lot of the men that engage in FLR do worship women. It goes beyond just simply, I love women because women are beautiful creatures. They actually worship these women. And so a lot of the men that I've engaged in FLRs with, they, it's kind of hard to explain because it, it can almost appear religious because they, they not only worship the woman that they're with, um, but there's a reverence and a deference that goes far beyond dominant submissive. It's an absolute, I mean, it absolutely takes 1950 and throws it on its head, you know, and it's not to say, you know, I'm out there chopping wood and doing all this, you know, butch shit because fuck you, I don't do manual labor, <laughs> but it, you know, but it, you know, so it doesn't mean that it's emasculating. There's, no. there's a lot of, there's a lot of men that come into FLR expecting sissification and expecting feminization. And that's actually not a part of it. Um, and you incorporate that kind of play into it. Absolutely. You know, who doesn't love throwing somebody in a sexy maid outfit and making them go do shit like it's hot. That's valid. <laughs> that's the play aspect. That's not actual right. FLR. And so, so yeah, there FLR does, does get a bad rap in a lot of circles. And I will say FLR is actually, it's more common than people think. Um, the vanilla world, it's usually the bitchy wife and the meek, mild husband. Yep. Um, a lot of people don't realize what they're seeing. That is actually a form of FLR. Um, but there's also the mistaken belief that, you know, if, if it is a woman's led relationship, automatically dominant and submissive and it's it's not the case because they can still have um what i would call stereotypical submissive sex where the woman is submissive in bed right but she's still in charge of the daily life so right like with flr <clears throat> the play and the sex is actually not a part of the description of it um i could see that because yeah. And so, and so, and, and I, and I say that about sex specifically because stereotypically speaking, you know, and tend to be the aggressors when it comes to sex, they tend to be the ones that signal when they want sex. Um, you know, women and at least American society are bred not to go after it you know, and, and signal it quite as much. And in FLRs, that may still be the case. You, you'll still find that the woman is not the one initiating sex. You'll still find that the woman, you know, tends to say, no, take the reins tonight. It doesn't mean that they don't still have that female-led dynamic, right? So that's and that, and that's why I say it that way because it is very different. Whereas you know, with a DS relationship, you're gonna fuck me how I tell you to. Mm-hmm. Now, in an FLR, that may not be the case. I may turn that off and on. See, and that's when I came across it. The first thing I thought of is I needed to ask you about it, and it was for that mm-hmm. reason because the the first image that hit my head when I first came across the term was just that, like, oh, it's got to be a yeah. 
you know, a master slave, a mistress, <laughs> you know, boy style relationship. But then I stopped and I was like, they wouldn't have a separate label for the exact same thing at that point. They just call it a TPE because that's what that would have been. So it can't be that. Mm. And now, and and I will say because it, it's probably a new term for a lot of people listening right now. Right. Um, I what I will say is that you want to read up on it. One of the people that I have found is the most open, honest, genuine, and gives solid advice for real FLR is a woman by the name of Miss Rika, and it's R I K A. And Miss Rika, she's very, very active on FetLife. Um, she runs several groups. Her profile is amazing. She's written several books, and she also has counseled couples in FLRs. And I absolutely love the way she describes things, the way she promotes the ethics of FLR, and how she does it in a way that does not emasculate men. Because the reality is, you're attracted to men for being men, FLRs. Right. You know, I don't want you to be less masculine. I don't want you to not do manly things. Like, I'm attracted to this because I like the fact that I can empower you to be a more whole creature. Um, but at the same time, you're going to do what I fucking told you. So what I appreciate about Rika's books and Rika's advice that she gives a lot of couples that are new to FLR, she really drills into the why does this appeal to you? Really, really figuring out, does it come from trauma? Is this a healthy space? Like, where are you at? She gives really great advice on how to structure your FLR so that it's not a DS. Now, most FLRs, I will say, most most relationships that start out FLR do tend to evolve into DS. Especially if they're kinky. Um, I can understand And I do that, think though. it's kind of like a natural progression. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and but I but I really I anybody that really wants to read up on it, I highly encourage you to to seek her out and join her FetLife group and really look at her discussions because she's got such a beautiful, healthy take on what FLR should be. Well, and it's it's interesting that I came when I first came across it even more so, but now so even more so because you've explained it so well. Um, hmm. And I'm glad because I really was curious because there's a it's not identical, but there's a parallel, and I've I touched upon it, God knows, way back. Someone can go look at earlier episodes if they really want to find it. But I'll be repeating it here anyway, because it, it's not exclusively a dominant submissive relationship either, but it's what's referred to as a bird-in-hand relationship. And it's a more heteronormative mm-hmm. role set, but it's not a power exchange. Because it's more it's closer to 1950s but it's still not a power exchange and it's not sexually related at all it has nothing to do with what mm-hmm. happens in the bedroom it's exclusively the rest of it in that it's everything else it's it's very much the opposite end of the male comes home he goes and does the work he goes and earns his money at the job pays for everything all of that handles <laughs> the bills does the housework you know the repairman shit all that a very yeah. traditional male role Woman handles the kids, the laundry, the clothing, the cooking. And these are consensual um, discussions, obviously. But yeah, yeah, yeah. there's extra layers to that in that she is completely subservient to his wishes that way. But it's exclusively mm-hmm. not a free use or slave style situation. It's not exclusively uh, about the sexual or the play side of it. It's the rest. 
And that's why it's separated the way it is, much like FLRs are separated the way they are, because it's not a dominant submissive relationship at all. But there's elements of power exchange in that regard because it is obviously a consensual thing. You talk about it beforehand, all that good stuff. And there mm-hmm. is a layer of if – and it's the key, the key part of it for, for those that have never heard it or haven't had much with it is that it also gives a degree of empowerment to the man to discipline his wife. Obviously, in an ethical way, there's still layers of that, of course, and you know, you still can't be a douchebag, etc. It doesn't work. But it's they <laughs> refer to domestic discipline relationships and power exchange, and it's closer to that. In that, let's say yeah. she, you know, does a terrible job at dinner or breaks something or whatever, mm-hmm. he is empowered to say, take her over his knee for the moment, and then they move on or make up or whatever else. And it's part of their relationship that that is a norm. So I do want to interject here with this one. Oh, please. Because I, so <laughs> I have heard this term. Okay. I am very familiar with a couple of couples that practice it. And I want to state because obviously we're in the United States. So everything here is kind of Christian centric. Yes. Um, we are not discussing Christian Domestic discipline. No, this is a religious unrelated. This is, yeah, this is completely different, but it's also different than a traditional dom sub right. relationship. Well, and um, it has its parallels to 1950s, but it's not 1950s. A lot of parallels. Mm. Oh yeah. No, and it's not. It's not as rigid as 1950s because right. it's not. There is a lot of stereotypical heteronormative ideology that goes into it. Right. But what I will say is different with. These types of relationships versus the the Christian domestic discipline is that domestic discipline that happens in 1950, I'll say 1950s and bird in hand, um, discipline is used as a vehicle, not a terror tactic. Right. Exactly. I think that's the big difference because when you look at Christian discipline, and I'm not trying to a fight with with my christian peeps no this isn't religious in any capacity that way no but the big difference is typically speaking it's behavior modification in a full bdsm sense not behavior modification in a just gonna call it what it is a domestic violence sense no absolutely Um, exactly from the outside it's going to be hard i will say if you're not practicing these different things and know what we're talking about from the outside looking in it will just look like ds Mm-hmm. Or abuse, right? There's people have very visceral reactions to it, but, but burden hand definitely. It's reason it's called burden hand is because the man is viewing the woman as a delicate, fragile creature to protect yes. and take care of and nurture, and so that's that's where it comes from. Um, so that's why that's why we talk about it in conjunction with 1950s so much because it's, you know. And it goes back to that nuclear family ideology mm-hmm. that it blends in kink elements that aren't quite DS because they're not as say as rigid. Not the roles are very clearly defined, like you see in DS, but it's not the say the protocol is just not the same. No, it's, it's not a looser even protocol. Close, but it's it's the nature of you know, and we've touched on this before, where the nature of dominant submissive relationships, we have to acknowledge the fact that there is a darker element that goes with these when you start being in the borderline of ethics, because at face value, if you don't know the difference, it's really easy to make it look like it's a lot less ethical than it really is if you don't know what they are. 
But that's why it's so important to specify that these different kinds of relationships do exist and these different styles exist because they are not only valid, but they're practiced by a good number of people. And there's always, there's still that automatic element of upfront negotiation, consent. Like the guy doesn't just take a girlfriend home and then start treating her this way. Like there's discussion to be had. No differently than a DS relationship. Like there's a number of discussions that are had up front. Like, are you okay with this? Is this something we want? And actually many of the bird in hand people that I've met, ironically, it was usually the woman who brings it to the man's attention, not the other way around, which I found fascinating. It's it's not in that regard a gender normative. Oh well, of course the guy holds the power. No, the women asked for it in many capacities, which I think is interesting. Absolutely. But then you look at the, this day and age, and we won't we won't touch on today's troubles, etc., because that's a whole different world. <laughs> but it's becoming more common in the sense of there's more people practicing it than there was even ten years ago because of the nature of the way the world has changed. And so those things are less common than they once were. <coughs> but that being said, that's why when when I brought up FLRs, I had to specify, because these are all things that run in parallels in that mm. they have similarities in their structure in that they're all very much not sexually focused. Yeah. But they take a lot of the behavioral elements. That's And that right there is kind of the big thing is I think that um, again, it, it's a lot of these, it's going to be based on your observations. So what you'll see and what you'll perceive as happening is literally a very small fraction of what these people have actually consented to. Yes. So that's, and that's, and I've, and I've seen it happen in femdom circles with, with these groups, because you'll have guys behaving in a specific way. So it presents in a specific way yeah. and then terms start getting thrown out and, and you'll see, you'll see guys that are in FLRs, you call them a sub and they're like, no, the fuck I'm not. And they right. get like aggressive about it. It's not because they think male subs are not worthy. It's just, that's not who they but are. It's and not their identity. You get right. irritated. Yeah, they get really irritated about being labeled submissive or beta male, oh, you know, stuff like that. Well, and I've because they're they're not. I have absolutely watched women in burden hand relationships get absolutely pissed the hell off if you call them a submissive. Yeah. Because that's like, not I'm what, not. <laughs> the fuck you talking to? No, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah. that's not mm -hmm. what they're about at all, and it has no sexual end of it or any of that. Not because they don't have any. Obviously, it's still a normal physical relationship. But the kinkier end of that pool is less prevalent for them than it is the mental aspects. Because it's the mental parts they're seeking, kind of like when we address digital online relationships and dynamics. Mm -hmm. It's the mental focus that they're concerned about, not the physical. Yeah. The physical is more Absolutely. often than not just a vehicle to continue the window dressing of the rest. And that's... Mm -hmm. Not only not only is it valid, but it's a great thing. And it's why we constantly say how dynamics are not inherently sexual and they shouldn't be. Mm. Not because you can't have them, but to assume that they all should be or that's the base is at least a misnomer. You should never mm -hmm. go in with the automatic mentality this has to be sexual. Because I've, I've lost track of how many relationships where it may have changed in one direction or the other, but they were absolutely even better when they weren't. Well, and it's, there's, like, for me, I practice a lot of non-sexual power exchanges um, because, to me, sex is not inherently a part of my BDSM. Sex is not inherently a part of my kink. 
Could you argue that a lot of the elements of my play is sexual? I would say it's more erotic. Um, because to me, the the line that I have in my head is, is the goal to give you an orgasm or not? And if the answer That's is no, true. to me, it's it's not sexual play. No, absolutely. It's intimate play. So, so I do, yeah. So the way I think about it for me personally is it's more erotic and oh, sensual than it is sexual. Um, and, and, and like I said, some of my dynamics are purely non-sexual. Now, do I control aspects of their sexuality? Yes. I control aspects of their actual sex life and their sex habits. Um, but not inherently sexual play and I'm not having sex with all of my submissives. Right. No. And so, and that's, and I, and I say that too, because when you're discussing FLR, FLR typically are relationships where you are in a sexually intimate relationship with that person. So that, that is, I will say another big difference between FLR and a lot of the other dynamics that you hear, especially Mm -hmm. in the femdom space. Um, because that FLR is actually inherently sexual. Well, and by the same token, like there's a reason I open with bird in hand being a heteronormative relationship base because it is very much a, you know, male-female dichotomy of traditional gender roles in many capacities. And while, yes, sex is part of that as a result, it's an intimate relationship, even though it's not a focus of that particular style. It doesn't change that they're two sexual partners. Um, and by the same token, that allows us to segue right into, you know, the, the other end of that particular leg while we're, (laughs) we're in the more unique styles of non-exclusively power exchange, but power exchange is cuckolds, cuckolds and bulls, which is a very specific group, um, (laughs) and absolutely is not heteronormative. And I need to specify that up front because while that is common, oh, it is not exclusively male, female specific that way with traditional gender concepts. Not at all. Because oh. I've met a number of, uh, what's the proper term? Cuck queens, if I'm saying it right. Queens, yeah. Where it's the female that's being cucked and not the guy. And they're happy about this. Like, this is part oh, yeah. of their thing. That is hot as shit. It sounds weird for those that are all unfamiliar my with today. it. Well, it's, it happens to be one I'm very fascinated by myself. And it's <laughs> and it's not because of the reaping that or sex. any of that. It's not because of all the benefit parts of it or anything or the, mm. the, the aspects that way. It's not even the sexual parts of it. It's that it's such a unique style with mm-hmm. so many moving parts because it's not just it's not a harem. And I need to specify that up front for people who think they understand the cuckold bull thing. Let, let's break that down very clearly right in a second so we can move on. A cuckold relationship is specifically, in the male case, it's specifically the man is being cucked by a bull, a.k.a. a non-inside relationship partner, which is referred to as the bull, the dom of that situation. And it is frequently a power exchange, though not always is my understanding. But it is commonly the bull is a dominant for both of those two. And he is an outsider who comes into the relationship and takes sexual control of the female, usually in front of the male on purpose because he actively is seeking to be left then. And there's, it's another one of those tremendous number of moving parts for ethicality because there's so many different ways that can go sideways. 
<laughs> but it is specifically a case of I am sharing my partner with this person because they're better than me to break it down to the <laughs> most basic definition because it's not that simple. And I will say too with with cucks, because I have a lot of experience with cucks. I fucking love them. Um, they're an entertaining group of people. I'll say that they really are. Men are fascinating, and I I adore them. Cucks, oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. So I will say, I will say when I started in kink, cucks freaked me out because I was like, oh my god, like how can you do this? Now that I'm into humiliation and some of this other shit, I'm like, it I'm so fucking for it. Yeah. Well, because you, you, your kink journey, right? Everybody evolves. And so my evolution, I'm absolutely more expansive, but now I'm willing to do more edgier shit. Um, yes. <laughs> and I, I have actually always viewed cucks as edge play because of the psychological ramification that. of, oh, absolutely. Because it's, and, and I view humiliation and degrade, degradation as edge play as well for the Fuck same yes. thing, because you're dabbling with really deep seated psychological mm-hmm. concepts and something else too, that's unique with cucks that you don't see necessarily with other power exchange identities. Cucks are very specific about what part they want to be cucked on. Yes. So yes, not cucks are not dime a dozen. They have very specific things. Example. For some cucks, they want to watch their wife getting drilled by a bull. Yep. Watching the sex happen is the power exchange. Being present in the room, hearing her getting off, being allowed to masturbate or not, right? That's you know preferential. Mm-hmm. But just watching the fact that their woman counterpart is deriving sexual pleasure from someone that is not them. And the element of I'm more of a man than you because I can make her do this and you're going to watch me. That's yeah. a very specific part of cucks and not all cucks like that. Nope. Some and cucks not... don't want to see it. Some yes. cucks actually more, they like hearing about it. And I'll use poly arrangements as a great example because I have a very close friend who's a cuck and he's got a polycule that is massive for this reason. He's largely demisexual. Okay. And... His thing is to have all of his partners tell him about their sexual encounters. He's like living vicariously through them because he's not necessarily sexually active with all of them. So he likes to hear how they're deriving pleasure from their other partners, um, especially their primary partners. That's what he wants is that graphic recounting of what it is. And so face value, a lot of people are like, well, just go read porn or go go listen to smut, go watch porn, you know, whatever. He has an emotional attachment to that partner, and so he wants to hear her talk about sexual exploits and conquests because mm-hmm. he's he's getting the pleasure basically of, you know, don't get to have this with me, but, you know, hear about what I did with so-and-so. Um, when I... Some cooks... Had... Go ahead. Oh, good, good. Oh. <laughs> It's one of those things where when we get really into it, it's really easy to not. I'm trying desperately not to like jump in because it's really hard not to. But it, I want to specify okay. for the people that are into the humdeg part of it. I need to be mm-hmm. clear about the humiliation part is not a standard, even though it is oh. often found. While the bull, yes, while busy doing his thing with the female, 
is not automatically humiliating the male actively during the act. Though that is common, it is not automatic. Mm -hmm. For the same reasons we just were dressing about humdeg is part of edge play for a lot of things for a variety of reasons. And it's yeah. it's adding it's another not. layer of discussion and safety to an already very delicate type of style. Because it's very easy for that to already go sideways when you enter a third party into your relationship. And there's there are all the things we don't need to touch on that we've already addressed about, you know, ugly, unethical people. Crank <laughs> that up to 11 when you talk about an ethically three-party relationship where one is actively taking control from another on purpose that way. To add humiliation and degradation to that act makes it even more, for lack of a better way to put it, safety conscious. Well, and, and kind of, yeah. And so, like, the flip side... The queens. Hmm. I do not identify as one, to be fair. Like, I'm I'm all about taking control from men. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shocker. Uh <laughs> like, have you met me? Um, right. So with, with cut queens, it's very similar. Um, a lot of times, the humiliation, the degradation, it's actually more about objectification. Yeah. And... If you don't know the difference between the three, I highly recommend you read up on it because they are Please. very, very different. <laughs> cut queens typically are more about objectification. Yeah. Um, meaning that it's not focused on them. They're not the one being objectified. They're watching their husband or boyfriend, whatever, interact with all of these women, knowing that they're disposable. Mm -hmm. Also knowing that it kind of reinforces you're just a number to me and I'm taking what I want. And so, again, it's a very power assertive because yes. the, whole, the whole realm of cuck is very power assertive based. Um, but cuck queens, to me, is it's almost a little dicier because there's, there's so many things that are wrapped around women's sexuality and, you know, the heteronormative things that, that go with all that fun shit. Um, and it's easy to dismiss cuck queens as swingers. Oh, God, yes. I've but, seen that happen. But by the same token. For whatever reason, men don't. Yeah, I know, which I find fascinating as hell, but that's by the same token. Like, I have met um, very limitedly in scope. I think I've met two ever where I've met cut queens specifically who they actively are the person being treated like they're disposable, which is why mm -hmm. the man is screwing somebody else. But it's an active part of their style and something they've negotiated because technically it's all be the shots are mostly being called by the cut queen. In many of those cases, or at least the ones that in those cases I'm describing here, where she mm. wants to be treated as disposable, but she's really the one holding the cards, as it were, in the first place. Like, this is something she's set up because she wants this particular fetish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so she really does have the power because she's the one allowing this to occur, even though it seems like it's at her expense. That's mm -hmm. just the, that's specifically what she's striving for, the desire for that feeling. And so there's so many moving parts, and I find that so fascinating because there's so many things involved, and there's so much discussion involved to make that work ethically, and it's a beautiful thing. And one of the cool things about whole cook ideology, too, is that a lot of people think that whichever partners is the, we'll say, the dominant one in these interactions more dominant leaning, right? Yeah. Um, that they're the ones going and finding the bulls, finding the hot wives, finding no. the vixens. 
And oftentimes it's not. The dominant partner delegates that to the cuck. Yep. They actively go seek um, their own replacement, yeah. so to speak. You need, you need, yep. yeah, you need to find me. Here's my criteria. Find me X, Y, Z. Yep. And and that's part of the, say the thrill and the humiliation part and the objectification is, not only are you going to watch me engage in this behavior, you're going to fucking set it up. Mm-hmm. Now, and and that in of itself is, and that's why I say there's a lot of play involved with with cucking. It's not just down dirty fucking. No, it's of, not about the sex it itself. It. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of it. That's just uh, the, the vehicle. The sex basically. is actually the minor part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why it's so awesome so to watch because it's it's not about the sexual part of it at all. That's just the vehicle for the process. Mm-hmm. And I've so I've hard. watched cucks who actively, it's their women are like, go out and find me another man because you're so worthless. And obviously, mm-hmm. that's not really what it is, but that's the concept is you need to find me a replacement because you're not good enough is just one of those examples. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing to see unfold. Well, it, it really, when is. done well, it's really neat. Oh God. It's yes. really hot. It yes. is absolutely power assertive. And exactly. the femdom, it trips all of my buttons. I fucking love it. Um, well, totally tells some awesome stories, but um, for those oh. who have dabbled or fallen this way by way of, say, hentai or porn, just because we, I want to make sure that we cover all the, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's, um, because specifically cucking has its own, I won't say fan base, because that's not quite the right word, collective who have found kink through it, or the sense of it. There is a Japanese term called netorar. That is specifically about being cheated on. And it's not active cheating, but it's the nature of that particular kink. And it's very much found in a number of hentai and other aspects of porn. And it's a very specific term that's gained some kind of traction for some reason as a result in that capacity. And it's about being cucked. And it's just because I want to make sure for those that happen to have fallen in from that way or have heard the term before... Or if they haven't and they come across it, it's related. It's It's been abbreviated as NTR, whatever. It's actually a Japanese term, and it's specifically about being cucked. Wow, we've been on a journey today. <laughs> right? Like, feeling we're going to have to do a part two just because we're still covering the uniques. And we're not even close. <laughs> I think it's because we're edge players. We like dealing with like the weird edge shit too. So oh. like, and it's what I said in the beginning. It's that, not going to be why. a comprehensively exhaustive list because that's impossible. Yeah. But for lack of a better way to put it, these are the bullet points that you will come across, mm-hmm. or maybe interested in coming across. Because if any of these tickle you in some way you can't define, I'm you're welcome to have found out about it. Go look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we could do that with you guys. Um, because that's kind of the point is everyone thinks about dominant sub. Everyone thinks about top bottom yeah. master slave. And while yes, mm-hmm. we're still going to address master slave. There's so many other styles that are not defined by those terms that are still yes. power exchanges or near power exchanges. Mm-hmm. And they should not be so excluded many. because people don't think about them automatically as a traditional MS, DS, you know, any of those, you know, DDLG. Because for lack of a better way to put it, those are the primary spokes of the wheel. Mm-hmm. 
But there's so many other spokes that are not only equally as valid, but some of them are hotter than hell. And it goes back to what we've said oh, yeah. thousands of times. Sometimes you stop and you realize, oh shit, I think I'm into this. <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. That's kind of the point of your journey. The more you learn, the more you find that you may want to explore. And you can't explore it if you don't know it exists to look for it. Figure it out. That, well, we might as what well, do you since we're next? right here, let's move on to Masters and Slaves. Oh, God help you. I was going to say, that was like a natural progression. Just do it. Right. Well, it, it has to be. Because so like tops and bottoms and dominant and sub, it's such a primary part of it. If we don't cover it, what's wrong with us? Um, <laughs> That's weird. Right? I'm with you. It gets weird. So how do you define MS? I see two very different kinds of it. And it's because as opposed to when I started kink and I'm not going to get into the age part of that. We don't need to today. Um, but, you know, when I first joined a household in the 90s, much like DDLG had very specific moving parts, all master-slave dynamics, which more often than not, most leather dynamics were master-slave still back then. Not all, but many, because it was still the norm, quote-unquote. It was less extrapolated like it is today in kink. You have 24-7 or TPE-style master-slave dichotomies, and then non-24-7. And there's a variety of reasons those two are separate things, and they're not always equal. Because you can have people who live together who don't want to live that life 24-7 because they have kids, jobs, whatever. You have people who live in separate houses or different states or there's a billion different reasons where master-slave is not inherently TPE, a.k.a. total power exchange. But that being said, the very traditional definition of master-slave is that slightly higher Master holds more power over a slave than a dom does over a sub, willingly and consensually between both parties. There's more aspects of their behavioral control. And I know that's still a very bare-bones definition, but I'm trying to keep it simple. <laughs> I think for me, one of the big differences that, my, at least, you know, obviously my relationships, because that's what I'm speaking to, mm -hmm. um, one of the big differences between MS and DS is that as as somebody that identifies as a master that is taking control of another human being to the point of calling it them my slave. Right. So a lot of people mistakenly believe that MS is somehow a deeper level of submission. That right. a slave is is more deeply devoted or a slave is somehow more, more of deeply. A sub. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is not accurate. No. That's, that's a really toxic mindset, and it pits yeah. subs against each other. I fucking hate that. Zoom in on our red flag episode um, where we talk about that shit a lot. <laughs> it's so trash. But what what I've, for me personally, what I have come to understand through MS arrangements that I've had and been a part of, um, and again, I say this because if, if you've not heard me talk at any other time, I have lived as a 24-7 TPE slave, and I have been a master now um, with a 24-7 live-in slave. Right. <laughs> so, and on both sides of this with multiple partners. And for me, 
The difference between MS is that they've negotiated away board decision making. Yes. Um, subs have a little more autonomy with their daily life. Subs have a little more leeway and flexibility and things like that. Slaves don't want that. Exactly. Slaves literally want to be able to turn their brain off in a in a much more rigid way. Um, to me, MS has more protocol. Um, oh, absolutely. And yeah, right. Because it's a different layer of expectations. Like as a submissive, I expect you to follow my protocols. But as a slave, you're going into a deeper understanding of why you do what you do, how to, you know, anticipatory service, things like that. So it's a much deeper thing. Um, and very briefly, I will touch on the fact that much like every label, you don't want people to get hung up on things right. and don't use terms that they find offensive. Obviously, using the term slave is In this day and age, yeah, it's extremely controversial. Very controversial. We definitely should talk about that. And, At least and a I little say bit. That, right. And I say that because you can have a 24-7 TPE arrangement and not call yourself a slave. Oh, absolutely. There's and that's several different that's not kinds talked of about. There are, but for whatever reason, it's not talked about. There's a lot of people when you say, oh, yeah, I'm in a 24-7. They're like, oh, you're a slave. No, no, I'm not. I don't use that term. And that's valid. Oh, God, um, yes. I, I wish people talked about that more, and they, they just don't. So that's – I just wanted to make that clear because I don't – Oh, like no, I for don't sure. Like it I gets made clear. I can actually speak to this because I – when my very first dynamics were exclusively master-slave because that's, again, leather household in the 90s. That's what mm -hmm. we did. And yeah. so the traditional master-slave 24-7 – you know, I went out and did the work and she did everything else, so to speak. She waited on me hand and foot on purpose, consciously mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. You know, which a 20-year-old, that sounds great. <laughs> That's hot. <laughs> right? Especially at 20. It's hormonal. You're feeding exactly the uh, yeah. fantasy you want to grow up with, especially in that day and age. And I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. You know, this toxic is what a baby Dartax looks like. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I was a male raised at the turn of the century. Of course I wanted that. Like any other male in the on the planet at that point. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I wanted it with men and women, but it doesn't change the fact yeah. that I wanted it. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because I moved away from that very quickly because I had, um, and this is something I've I've dressed before in, t in passing, but I had a very negative experience with conditioning with a slave in my mid-20s. Mm. Um, and it wasn't on purpose. It was just the timing, but I'll I'll brief some here just so that people understand where I'm coming from on it. In that I had a problem where she broke up with me. She handed me back my collar, which anyone who doesn't understand how how bad that is, when a submissive hands you your collar back, it is a signal that you fucked up in a way that is about as vile for those on the bottom end of things as having been told you're disappointed and walked away from her silent treatment. It hits you like a brick to the face. Mm -hmm. um, at least if you're remotely a halfway decent human being, obviously notwithstanding douchebags. Um, but I was not a douchebag, so it did hit me very hard. The problem is that we had several active conditioning behaviors because we'd been together for a couple of years by then. Um, we were living in a house with several other guys, you know, leather house. So there was like three or four of us that were doms. There were several who came with us who were slaves, etc., house service subs, whatever. So when she moved to her own place 
and everything wasn't bad. Like it wasn't violent. Nobody was cheating. It wasn't unethical. But neither of us stopped because at 24, 25, you don't think about these things the same way you should, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Didn't factor for the level of conditioning that had been imparted and not yet been removed. It was a mm-hmm. friend of hers who came to me less than three days later because she wasn't eating. And she wasn't sleeping. She hadn't been told. Because she had been so caught up mentally in being told how to live. That she didn't stop to think when she left that those would just go away. She didn't think about it any more than I did. And that's not her fault. Like, in no way do I blame her for the way that happened or anything. There's, If anything, I blame myself that much for not thinking for ahead. Because I yeah. was an adult, whether I like it or not. And I own that. I mm-hmm. recognize my mistakes. It's also why I have such a big, strong opinion about conditioning and why, while I'm an advocate for it, I'm a heavy advocate for doing it right or not at all. Yeah. Because I've lived through it. I have deprogrammed other slaves in passing since then. And it is an Mm -hmm. unpleasant fucking experience for everyone involved. Because you shouldn't have to. I spent the next month still living on and off with this girl who no longer wanted me with her and vice versa. Because mm-hmm. we had to to unprogram her enough to live without me. Yeah. Now, aside from the blame of not thinking about that before that, at least it wasn't as bad as it could have been. We didn't hate each other by the end of it or any of that. But it was extremely awkward, extremely uncomfortable. There was a lot of guilt on all sides. It was just not pleasant. Um, And it's what made me move away from 24-7 style exchanges. As a matter of fact, because I was mm-hmm. soured by it from those experiences. But I see that. as an old school person at that point still, I am still an advocate practice where it's more the – I won't say levels because that, that's a misnomer and it doesn't do it any service. I've reached a point where I'm more very old school leather traditional in that consideration always starts – And as far as I am concerned, you are my submissive for that first minimum year and a day while training until you Mm -hmm. have a properly fully owned locked collar. At which point, if you wish to be master and slave, we can move to that level because that's after a you know what I mean? There's a there's a different scale in the relationship at that point if we seek it. Keyword being if we choose to continue to that level. But otherwise, I haven't personally pursued them since then. And I'm not saying that that's the only way you should or that there's, you know, everybody's are different. But I've had, um, you know, both sides of that fence. I have had master-slave relationships that were not total power exchanges. I've had a one case in my late 20s before I got married where I was a deity. That was very awkward and lasted all of about a month. No shame. (laughs) And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with either of us. It just I did not feel comfortable with that level of worship. Even then, because it just felt painful. It felt awkward in a way I couldn't put all my fingers on, but it didn't feel right. <laughs> Not for me, anyway. I'm sure there's people that thrive in, and I know that, that the deity worshiper style of relationship is a power exchange that is very valid in a very similar way that master-slave. In fact, it's kind of like taking dom-sub to master-slave, and then deity worshiper kind of adds another layer above that, almost like Gorean. Right. And so it's it's that much further up, as it were. Um, yeah. 
And it's it's very, very specific for a reason. And it's why you almost never hear about it. Because there's so many elements to it that require so much discussion. So for me, because my... No, <laughs> you and I think a lot alike. Um, but I will say, like, you know, some of the unique little nuances with being a femdom, you know, my relationships are skewed just a little differently. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I will say for me, MS is more about managing the person. Whereas I feel like with submissives, I'm managing more or less the kink journey. That's that's the separation I have in my mind. So a submissive, I'm managing their their kink development. Yeah. Right. With a slave, I'm I am managing them. Yes. Because now I've gotten more into you know, and why I always call it kinky life coaching. That's a good way um, to put I've it. Got, Absolutely. And that's how it feels. Like it, you know, I've and I've had to explain that, you know, especially when people hit me up for like professional services, right? Um, when I when I do the spicy work, um, <laughs> or like you know, why why is it being with you is so different? And I'm like, well, because I view my role as your owner, my your master, your dominant. Ultimately, the goal is empowerment, right? We all want you to be the better version of yourself. That's why you came to me. Like I should have inspired you to want to do better somehow, right? Like so, you're wanting to learn from me, but I also want to empower you to be happy, fulfilled. You know, all, the, all that happy shit. Mm-mm. And so, you know, so, and that's, and that's the thing is that it is life coaching in, in a kind of a real sense. Oh, absolutely. There's some therapy work that happens. But... There has to be almost just because mm-hmm. you're going to dive into those kinds of elements. You have to be prepared for it. And I will say, I do not dive into owning someone as a slave lately. Right. Absolutely. It's something you build up to. Um, because to me, it is a, like it's a bad phrase, but like it, it is a deeper level of connection and deeper level. Of yeah, it, deeper is a terrible but word, but there's nothing that really works better. No, there, there's not because it's not it's not somehow better than or more no. than submissive or dominance. But there is a different. There's just a different layer to it, and so I'll just say different commitment, not deeper, different. That's it's a better different way to put level it. Yeah, of commitment. No, absolutely. Um, because I am absolutely taking control of your life, you know, and, and I, you know, I often talk about my current dynamic with Vixen as a prime example. And she, and she knows that I do this for anybody that's asked. Vixen is aware I discuss our relationships. Um, and we've had to podcast before where she's been sitting next to you and razzing you while we're talking <laughs> and you've admitted as much. So, I mean. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But yeah. She'll, yeah. When I'm recording, there are times that she's, she's sitting here at my feet while we're talking. Of course. Um, but like it's it's funny because with with her specifically, it's not so much that she needed somebody to take control of her life. That's not what she needed. Right. What she needed was a positive influence because she didn't have a whole lot of them. She needed somebody that had her interests at heart and somebody that was not going to exploit her. There you go. You know, that's a good way to put it. it. Now, do I capitalize on her submissiveness? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Well, I mean, do uh... I appreciate, <laughs> right. you know, do I capitalize on the fact that she's service oriented? Absolutely. I am inherently lazy. <laughs> um, 
I'm a psychological being. I'm not necessarily an active go-getter. Just what it is. You know? But you can own that. That's all that matters. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, we joke about it now. I'm like, I'm lazy. Can you hand me that? (laughs) There you go. She's like, I'm being of service. I'm like, (laughs) I'm being lazy right now. See, you laugh, but that's exactly what happens with Syria more often than not. Mm -hmm. She's a great service submissive, but half the time it's just me being like, could you get me another cup of coffee because I don't feel like getting up? Absolutely. I just don't want to move. Yeah. Like that takes mental effort I don't have right now. No, and, and we joke about that too, because I'll, I'll make a comment passing like, oh, hey, I need to go grab this. And she's like, oh, I can go get it for you. And I'm like, yeah. I need to get my steps in. <laughs> no, but you're not like, wrong. That's a good way to put it. No. You know, but it's but that for she and I, it's that willingness that she wants to do the things that yes. is rewarding for me, right? Because to me, a signal that that a dominant has failed or a master has failed the person in their charge is when the person no longer wants to do things that they used yes. to find fun. You know, and so when you see somebody that used to jump up, oh, I can get that for you. And now they look at you like, oh, did you need that? There's a problem. No, I agree no. with you. And so, yeah. So to me, when I, when I start negotiating with someone to enter in an MS kind of arrangement, I've known them a hot minute. Right. It's, that's not an instant thing. I've, I've known them, you know, we've, you've probably seen me drunk. You've watched me eat sloppy ribs. Like, you know what you're fucking getting. Right. Vice versa. I've seen you wake up with bedhead and, you know, have the, the nasty nap breath. And and, I'm still okay with this. Yeah. And I'm still, I don't give a fuck. Like, you know, we've been around each other when we haven't showered for two days, you know, shit like that. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Right. Real talk. For real. And so. Those are the people that I, I would consider for at 24-7 TPE master-slave type arrangement. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm, if we haven't hit that level of friendship and we haven't hit that level of camaraderie, I'm not going to entertain an MS level agreement with you. Right. I won't even think about it. You know, I, I've not unless it's of a professional vein. Right, which is obviously so, a different set of moving parts at that mm-hmm. point because you're yeah. looking so, at I mean, it differently. And, and, I, and I do want to make that clear because we are talking lifestyle. We are not talking pro services. So No, that, um, that'll be an episode all, all by these, itself, I think. Yeah, because all of these dynamics, when you start talking about involving pro work with them, radically change. Oh, yeah, all of them. And there's more than one mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. Many more than one so kind, I, I, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sorry that we didn't make that clear up front because I feel like we should have, but... No, but it's okay. We can break it down now and just specify, you know, I've always meant for pro services to be an episode all its own because I think it needs one the same way I will eventually have Korean as its own episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because there's so many things that go into that discussion that to give it just the space of, you know, a portion of an episode would be disservicing. And I'm not about that. I want people to have as much good information as they can get. Um. And by the same token, like, I've always looked at, like, a dominant submissive relationship is closer to not necessarily sexually focused, but is commonly Mm -hmm. sexually focused with a degree of controlling elements, as opposed to when you move or look at a master-slave relationship is far more behavioral modification, often because that is what is sought after, not because that's what you want as the top. But that is what the bottom is seeking yeah. actively. They want those things in their life to be dictated by someone to help them find direction. 
And that's not always 100% the case either, but it's a common oh. thing. And and it needs to be, right? I mean, that's – to me, that's getting into the ethics of kink, but that, right. that's the whole point of it. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm taking charge of your life because I want to make it better. I'm not taking charge of your life because you're stupid, inept, or anything like no. that. No. It's that you actively no. seek to do something mm -hmm. about these things and you can't do it alone or don't want to do it alone. So you're seeking someone to help do it for you, not in place of yourself, but to give you reasons to get it done. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Whether by hook or by crook. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that hook or by crook. I like that. You know, it has its applications in a lot of old school things. It happens to apply to kink just as good. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. That's why I was giggling. I'm like, mm -hmm. it works. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I'm going to stop us there just for, you know, life reasons, etc. But mm -hmm. we we were going to have to do a part two anyway. So for those that are listening, both those of you, thankfully, are listening live. Thank you so much for coming. Um, for those that will be listening to this post production, we will definitely have a part two. So stay tuned. This is not remotely everything being covered not even close and that's why we need a part two um there's still so many things to talk about no there are <laughs> and i want to make 100%. sure they have their space because it's worth it and i much like the mm -hmm. much like female -like relationships bird in hand cock queens etc those are things people don't necessarily know or they've heard parts of yeah. in passing but have never really heard it explained and I want them to hear those things for the first time and to see, oh, you know what? I'm curious about that. Cool. Now you have something new to explore. Yeah. You're welcome. Definitely. That's kind of the point. I, I would say, because mm -hmm. they're definitely the types of things that if it's not your fetish, you probably haven't heard of it. Well, and if it is, you may not have come across it anyway, just because you've never heard someone describe the term because there's such a small percentage of yeah. people that use it. Didn't know there was a word for it. Right. Well, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no idea that CNC was a thing before I came into kink they, amongst That's other fair. things, but you know, I would have never thought, Oh, there's a thing for this. Oh, cool. No, I had no bloody idea. Now I do. <laughs> Hell, if I had a dollar for every person I've met where they've gotten a term finally after, you know, first dipping their toes in kink, they're like, wait, there's a thing about this. Oh, dude. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes, welcome to the world. Um, right. Um, I don't really have much more to add other than the usual suspects of you. You, you know, you can find me on the Facebooks, the or not the Facebooks, the darker Facebooks. Please don't look on me, for me on Facebook. You won't find mm -hmm. me there. And if you do, you don't know me. That's a totally different profile. Um, that's probably the puppies and kittens and shit. No, it's not. It's still very much me, but it's minus the kinky aspect <laughs> of it because there's other people sure. on there who don't know me that way from family, etc., who I grew up with. And they yeah. just they don't need that they part don't, of it. They my don't life. need to know. Mm -mm. Right. But I think that's the only piece of social media where that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on Discord, on, on the web, on RSS, Spotify, wherever, you can reach out to me. You can find me. If you want to ask me something or just whatever hit me i'm open <laughs> likewise i am easy to find my name is the same on all the medias mm -hmm. you can't find me you're not trying seriously though especially at this point <laughs> well i've <laughs> actively sought to keep the same name for so long at this point if you're tr not able to find me you really haven't tried same same <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't even have numbers at the end of my name. Come on. <laughs> nope. Nope. But again, thank Ooh. you for the people who are actively listening today. As always, we're so grateful when people show up and come join us. Um, for those that are listening later after post-production as well, thank you all for listening. That is literally why we do this. Thank you all so much and have a wonderful rest of your day.